Hey, chaps. So it's been a wonderful uh, morning here. I'm trying to think what happened. Oh, went with my wife to go and get, uh, she found a raw milk uh, herd share uh, in the area. So about half an hour away and literally a minute down the road from where she grew up, there's a sweet little homestead that she never knew about. And so we got a bunch of raw milk and some yogurt and butter and cream. Got to see their sweet homestead, goats and chickens and pigs and whatnot. And it's just like, man, this is awesome. Uh, went, went past a little the lo local bakery and got, some, got a donut. You got to do what's right once in a while. Got some sourdough and um, I'm a bread man. You know, there's a scripture somewhere that says bread warms the heart. Now, let me tell you, that's, that's a biblical foundation of my life right there. So, yeah, just feeling great. Um, I think this whole food journey, um, I posted a bunch of pictures on, on Twitter earlier of just our garden update, which is, has been wonderful. Uh, grilled out last, last night, got some, some sweet meat. And, uh, you know, it's just, it really gets this thing of like, we're all going to make it, you know, when, when you actually really just dig down into, uh, the, the practicalities of life scale, scale right down to your backyard and, you know, your family for you guys who've, who've got children. Um, there's an incredible meaningfulness, uh, in the work of our hands, um, in our, in our households. And I think often we can lose focus, you know, we can lose the plot um, and get caught up in other people's monkeys and other people's zoos. And we, we lose the plot of just how great life actually is. Old Hamilton on Twitter, he's a, a, a machine. If you guys aren't following him, um, I retweet some of his stuff now and then, uh, but he's, he's homesteading somewhere out there in the great American wilderness hinterland. Uh, but he was just saying, uh, he made a tweet earlier that really struck home. He said, guys who don't have skills um, avoid work. It's something to that effect. I'm, I'm butchering it pretty badly. But it just got me to thinking, you know, a lack of skill. For a lot of us young guys, we, we were brought up, our school system, our, our prison daycare system, intentionally takes you out of any skill Um education it, it puts you into the white collar cubicle mindset life where where it's all about processes and bureaucracy a, a bureaucrat's life and so we don't learn how to keep a, a car maintained we don't learn how to grow food we don't learn how to wire things or you know like i was thinking about that you know what are the most important things in life you know that that were food we we learn almost nothing about it in fact we get indoctrinated the other way of that USDA food pyramid of like, here's how to be obese and die of diabetes. Um, we don't know what causes cancer, <laughs> but carry on eating all this corn syrup and soy. Um, you know, so food, you know, our whole lives, you know, either the grow, the production of food, the processing of food, the storage of food, uh, and then the preparation of food. Um, you know, that, that was a really cool. Uh, I can't remember who I was reading. But he was saying even the most feminine pursuits when done in public are often done by, by men, you know, so the sh a chef. So cooking is a feminine pursuit, but done in, in the public realm, it's a masculine mastery, right? So the best chefs, the best tailors, the best nurses, the best, you know, think of anything that is inherently feminine 
done in public, it's going to be done best by a man. But anyway, so food, it's it's such an important part of life, and we we know almost nothing about it. Another thing is is water. We we know nothing about plumbing. We learn nothing about sanitation. We learn nothing um, about you know what what goes in your water and how it affects your body. We know nothing about like you know the chemicals in the water turning the freaking frogs gay. And it's like let's learn about that. Why? <laughs> Um, so that's water. And then another inherent part of, of life is electricity, energy. You know, we learn uh, our lives are indispensable unless we're Amish. Our lives are are un, uh, undoable without electricity. You know, and for us, thankfully, it's easy enough just to flip on a, a light switch, sw- switch it on and off. But we don't know all the things that happen behind there. Uh, we don't know. You know, there's that classic. There's a, a great old guy. I'll share him on Twitter. Uh, Dr. Erwin Moon. Um, a classic creation scientist evangelist kind of guy back in the sixties who would make science videos as a way of uh, preaching the gospel. And he would do this trick where he would, he would stand on top of a metal uh, transformer and send a million volts of electricity through his body. And it would, he would put metal caps on his fingers and it would come out of his fingers in like a Tesla coil. And it's like, Whoa, that's amazing. And it's like the dude understood electricity, he understood energy flow. And so for him, he's like, yeah, I can do that and it won't kill me. You know, whereas for me, I almost, I almost killed myself rewiring our washer and dryer. I, I still look back and shudder because like literally the Lord spared my life, you know, because it's like for me, you know, I'm having to refather myself late into my 20s and, and early 30s of, well, I've never wired a plug before. I've never, you know, had to take the four pin plug off of a, a dryer and put on a three pin plug. So I'm following YouTube videos and I'm redoing it. And I'm like, oh, let's see if this fits the thing. And I haven't, I haven't uh, wired the the plug to anything. She's like, oh, let me just make sure that this fits. And I never tripped the electricity. And so when I plugged just the just the the um, cord, unattached to anything, into the wall, the two the two uh, lines arced and, and and basically just it was like, bah! and everything in the house went down. And I was like, and thankfully I was I was holding the insulated. Um, cable but it was like i could have just killed myself you know like how many deaths happen because we're literal imbeciles when it comes to the basic essential knowledges knowledge of life you know and so for me i'm like that was a costly lesson like now whenever i work on something mains off don't be an idiot like but I nearly, I nearly never survived that lesson, you know, and I should have had a father who, you know, like oh, at six years old, you're changing your first plug, always switch off the power, you know, like all the stuff, like it's hard won lessons that if we're blessed, if the Lord <laughs> pleases, we can now hand on to our children. Um, so anyway, I was just thinking about all of that. We'll, we'll get back onto this. Marcel, welcome brother. W Laser, what do you do for a living? How do you take care of your financial life? And what advice can you give college students? When I got to America, I couldn't work for the first six months. So Kelly was working at Trader Joe's and we were heavy in credit card debt. And um, when I eventually could work, it was like friends from church, you know, so I was, I was working like janitorial jobs. I was doing flooring work. I uh, worked for an Amazon warehouse, unpacking the craziest things in return packages. Um, and then uh, eventually got a, a job managing a restaurant for a year and a half um, of soul destroying hospitality work, which I was very glad for. Like all of these jobs, I'm like my wife and I were talking the other day. I'm like, I'm really glad 
that I work for Amazon because I've seen the, I've been inside the belly of the beast. I've seen how it works. And so right now um, we're living, we live a very affordable, very economic life. We don't, we don't need much to live on. Uh, we live in a very rural area, super cheap rent. We eat super simply. Um, we don't have crazy lavish uh, entertainment. Our garden is our entertainment. Um, and so we live a very, a very economical life that it doesn't take much to, to live on. Um, and so right now we, we go to auctions, we buy stuff, uh, we resell stuff, uh, just random, like any, you know, we do anything we can to not have a wage job. Uh, I was blessed by the Lord. We bought a piece of land back where I, where I, uh, was working in Kentucky. And, uh, and again, not, none of my own wisdom, none of my own, well, I'll have you know that I'm a great property you know, I read Robert Kiyosaki and I went and bought property. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> the blessing of the Lord. We, uh, we took a loan, bought, bought three little plots of land to what we thought we would be homesteading on. And obviously that just didn't work out. And we wanted to be closer to family. And uh, for whatever reason, we, we stalled on, on selling it. And so when we got back from South Africa, it was at the top of the market. So just super blessed, sold, sold a piece of land. Um, so all of our living expenses are, are taken care of. And uh, we're just in a great spot where we're able to, you know, really ask the question like, Lord, how can we build a home economy? How can we build our own uh, business? And, you know, for the longest time, especially in my early 20s, I was like, I'm going to be a hotshot entrepreneur. I'm going to be a hotshot businessman and read Robert Kiyosaki and read Tim Ferriss. And, uh, you know, really like you think that you can do anything and, and start anything. And it's like, no, nope, like <laughs> actually I just want a simple life where, you know, we, we're homestead and, and keep it simple and keep it easy and don't, uh, you know, the, I feel like the economy is not my domain. Obviously, I'm involved in it, and I have to be steward, a steward of it. But um, yeah, so that's that's there. Uh, what advice can I give college students? I would say with with college students, man. You know, one of the biggest things I've realized is just how cheap you can live when when you are happy to go without a few things. You know, when you can live, don't live on a budget. Budgets are super hard to do. It takes a certain personality type to budget and this is what I'm going to do. Track your money. It's a lot easier, right? Track your money. So have a little Excel sheet or a Google sheet or whatever, notes in your phone and track how every, you know, every week or whatever. I'm, I'm very fortunate my wife does it for me now. She's wonderful at this, um, but we'll, we'll track our spending. And so, you know, like, oh my gosh, we spent $3,000 this month or we spent, you know, how much money you spent this month and you understand you, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to, to carry your financial reality with you when you understand that you're 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 tracking uh, your out your cash flow, you know what your money that comes in, money that goes out, and you know where you are. It's like it's like weighing yourself and and eating uh, more or less and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's I think the number one piece of advice I'd give to anyone when it comes to finances is track your income, track your expenditure, um, and then number two, yeah, don't be afraid to live in ways that are not keeping up with the Joneses. You know, it's really hard to uh, perhaps, you know, be neighbors to people and, and drive a beater car and, you know, not go out every night and all this stuff. And it's like, but actually like the, the biggest um, blessing for us uh, was moving out of the city. Cause it's like, we, we don't feel bad not keeping up with everybody's status items. DVG, the best anything 
are typically men. They outnumber women at the very top. That's just a fact. Even fashion designers, chefs, etc. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a that's a really cool thing to look at. You know, the whole masculine and feminine polarity of even things that are feminine uh, in nature. Uh, when it comes to the public outworking of them, the men who are most masterful uh, are going to be able to devote uh, their masculine energy, their masculine direction, their masculine force to mastering this skill. <clears throat> DBG, dude, electricity is one of those things that you do not F with. Well, I tried. I tried to F with it and it nearly, uh, I nearly got fried. So, yeah, but uh, W laser, that, that whole thing of economy, you know, that's another thing at school that we don't learn. You know, again, it's like you're going to be, this is the, it's the curse of work. You know, the whole thing of, of well, got to go get a career. You got to go earn money. And it's like, yeah, that's true. You know, and, and all the homeless type guys and the guys who have dropped out into survival life. Um, by survival life, I mean dropping out of, of the slavery economy and living super cheaply. Uh, not being in debt, not being in a consumer uh, cycle so that you can, uh, you have all your survival needs met, you know, housing, health, food, all of that. And now you have time, you know, time becomes the the, the biggest currency. And so uh, the, the, the meme that guys will say is like, oh, money, you know, God didn't intend money and God didn't intend for us to pay for everything and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, like God made gold. Um, and other than it looking nice, it, it's a, it's a measure of, of trade, a, a monetary measure that God in, in created and, and instituted. And so money is a, it's a, it's a tool of value. And so for us, you know, the guy who, the guy who, who goes and, and farms and, has basically a survival economy of, you know, he makes enough to sell and makes enough to live on. And, you know, and, and you'd arguably uh, say like, well, that guy's more valuable than the investment banker who just makes a phone call every day and pushes a buy and sell click, click or whatever. And it's like, but he earns, you know, a million bucks a month or whatever. And it's like, you can argue that one is more productive and the other is not. But when it comes to understanding the system, so this is where I say our schooling our schooling uh, fails us. It's okay to have both and. You know, we 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 want to understand what is meaningful in life, what is real, what is what is production in life, and at the same time, we want to learn how to game the system. We want to learn how to leverage the system. We want to learn how to use this. Oh, money's evil, and the stock market's evil, and debt is evil, and it's like, yeah, that's that's all well and true, but. At the same time, it's 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 okay to leverage them and maximize on them and uh, play them at their own game. It's when you get sucked in to thinking that because you're some hotshot doctor or some hotshot uh, real estate guy or some hotshot whatever, um, that you know when you start getting into pride of like I'm better than the farmer, or when the farmer starts getting into pride and uh, or resentment towards these guys, you know it's like chaps. Both and be a producer and be a gamer, be a baller. But okay, so where was I going with this? With the whole thing of, of this is the primary, this is the primary uh, thing that every man is searching for, right? We're searching for work that that provides income, 
and we're searching for work that provides honor and fulfillment and and greatness glory and so we we go to school you know we're told to go to university to to you know because if you don't go to university you're without honor you know and so that's a hard pill for a lot of guys to to deal with you know is do i go against the narrative and don't go to college you know and it's unless you're going into to medical or uh, engineering or you know all of the the hard things that are like yeah that's worth the university degree if you're not going into those things go get a trade go uh figure out your passion and and figure out how to build a business around it and how to serve your people with it you know even even to the extent of like um i think for myself you know i'm not a i'm not a very practical guy i'm not a very i'm not a delta who's competent and gains mastery over tools and and processes very quickly um and so so for my whole life it's like man like I don't mind, I don't mind hard work. I don't mind labor and getting dirty and, and getting into it. I'm just not very good at it. Um, and so when it comes to a lot of work, you know, a lot of entry level work is very technical and very uh, process orientated, unless you go into the service industry, of course. Well, even there, there's there's a lot of technical things. But if you know, if I had just gone and and gone through the ropes of all of that, I would have thought, you know, I'm not a very talented guy, I'm not a very skillful guy. And that's when you start to resent work. And that's when you start to, uh, you know, fall into that meme of like, oh, I hate money. I hate the system. I'm a victim, all of this stuff. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm actually afraid of believing that God has made me to do other work that is not necessarily approved of or is not necessarily understood by the vast majority of other men. You know, so for instance, you know, a, a news reader, someone who puts on a suit and says, uh, the, seven o'clock news, that guy is getting paid a million bucks a year. And especially once they start getting higher up, he's getting paid a million bucks a month to read the news off of a teleprompter, you know? And if you had to say that that guy is more valuable than a farmer or a welder or a mechanic, and it's like, no, he's actually a piece of crap journalist. You know, we can get into that, but it's like, okay, they understand they've got a, a, an understanding that number one, they are a diff, there's a different gifting. Like, Oh, I look good in front of a camera and I've got a, I've got a certain voice that can read the news in a way that you will get hypnotized into knowing what I'm trying to say and a blah, 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 blah. And they have a belief that what they do is valuable. And so they get paid for it, you know, and there's a market for it. There's a bunch of, of guys who will sit around watching the news and getting advertising clicks and, and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, your passion is monetizable no matter how niche or obscure or ununderstandable it is. It's just a thing of, do we believe that? You know, do we believe that what I would really like to do uh, can make me a living, can uh, bring me before great men and create space for me? So I think that would be an, another one of my encouragements to, to especially young guys and, and even the old guys, you know, that's it. If you're 40 years old, 50 years old, and it's like, ah, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, I've, I've never wanted to do this. It's like, you've got 30 years of productivity, you know, that this is a great mindset for us to have. Let's say, let's say God willing, we live to 90, right? But let's, let's, for instance, just take that down to 80. Cause you know, a lot of 80 year olds, if you look at the Donald are alert and still able of body. So let's take it to 80, right? However old you are right now, subtract that from 80. So I'm 30. I've got 50 years of productive time ahead of my, of my life. And a lot of guys are like, oh, I'm already 30. I'm already 40. I'm already 50. I can't, I can't learn a new skill. I can't change my track. I can't launch a new project. I can't go for something new. And it's like, 
dude, if you're 40, you've, you've been 20 years now on this track. You've got 40 years, double your current track ahead of you. That's a crazy thing to think of. It's a crazy mindset changer. Um, I, I digress on all of this, but the point is, um, when it comes to work, I, I think a lot of us would have our nihilism and our anxiety quelled by, by believing that God has made us for a special work, for a special uh, kingship in the domain that might be super obscure and niche and, and you know, don't care what people think. <clears throat> De Yoman, you said you were raised to take pride in your Anglo heritage. Is there a formula for this? Yeah, my dad, um, my dad was a military man. Uh, his his dad was a his dad fought up in Africa um, in the Second World War. My dad was obviously conscripted as South Africans were into the Air Force. Um, he never fought, uh, but he was very involved. Uh, you know, after um, after he his service, he continued to be involved as an honorary officer and all this kind of stuff. So, so militarism is the way to catch young boys' imaginations, right? Young boys, we all we dream about is battle. All we read are war stories, war comics. I wonder if I've got my. Uh... So my wife got me this gift for for Christmas, but Commando. I grew up on these comics. My dad would basically just buy these comics for me every month. Um, this is like a whole tome of them, but they were like a little, just a little thin comic book. And it was all about, it's all about World War II, all World War II comics from a British perspective. Um, you know, so British infantry, British military, uh, British Air Force, uh, tales of adventure and daring. And unfortunately, you know, this, this uh, okay, well, so this caused in me a honor, a veneration of the, the, the Anglo fighting man, the, uh, the Anglo officer as the highest crust of society. And so all my, my daydreams, all of my, uh, my, uh, what do you call them? Imagination play was as me being a British officer or a British commander or whatever. And it's like, that's the dreams that you encourage in your young men, right? Dreams for valor, dreams for, for, for conquest and whatnot. Now, unfortunately, this created in me a disdain for the Nazis because it was uh, not a disdain, but like a I fell into the trope that, you know, and, and no fault to my father. He was a product of his times. But it's like, you know, we would watch Schindler's List and we would, you know, it's like, oh, man, like that's what, what we're fighting against is these evil Nazis who make lampshades out of people's skin, you know. And so so that was the downfall of this blind history. Uh, but but the positive was it created in me a, a healthy image of my own uh, of my own tribe of my own people. Um, it created in me a desire to you know I was I would just pour over World War II books. That's all I wanted to read as a teenager. Even I would just read. Uh, there was a brief spell with Harry Potter. Ashamedly, I have since repented. But it was mostly you know World War II Air Force books, World War II uh, strategy books, like anything I could get my hands on. And then I loved the computer games around that. You know. Uh, Battlefield and Medal of Honor and all of that kind of stuff. So I think the formula is understanding that militarism is the key to a boy's heart. And, you know, so for the Afrikaner, um, the Afrikaners, you know, their young boys grow up with stories of the Anglo-Boer War, stories of the Great Trek, the pioneers. You know, Americans, 
they grow up with stories of the wild west uh you know cowboys and indians they grow up with uh for the southerners especially the the civil war as as a four front mythology um lord of the rings is a a mythological framework of the anglo-germanic mythos and in the same way we all crave that hero's journey we all crave that 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 story to be the central figure we want to be the central figure in the next war in the next you know we want to be the next churchill we want to be the next uh hamilton uh man what's the the chap who shackleton we want to be the next shackleton the next great adventurer and explorer so yeah it's a it's a great question DPG, question, what do you see are the next steps for those following you? Number one, how do we keep the movement from being just a boy's treehouse? Yeah, I think, I think number one, understanding that we are not, you know, when you look at guys like uh, Fuentes or Gavin or Owen, they, they have very big followings, but, but the, the, the one drawback is like, well, this is the tribe this is our tribe and like no one else. And we fight the other tribes and uh, our guy's the main guy. Whereas I think for me, this thing of civilization, Anglo Western Protestant civilization is big, you know, as much as anyone would like to, I would like to be the Anglo captain. I'm the chief now of the Anglo Anglosphere. It's like, that's not going to happen. You know, it's, there's a, a huge alliance a huge crafting of many captains, you know, and, and even, even you guys in your personal lives, this thing of, you know, the biblical model is, is captains of tens, captains of hundreds, captains of thousands. We need these little tree houses, these little men's clubs, these little hunting clubs, these little pub clubs of men who are these little churches, these little sports teams of men, fraternal organizations of men who trust each other, love each other, have a plan for their local area. And we, you know, we live by a code. We live by a, a vision, you know, for, for instance, you know, that, that is the great thing. You know, if you, if you follow uh, Fuentes, you know, he's got a, a America first and uh, unashamed nationalism and, uh, you know, young, young trad cath uh, vision. And it's like, that's great. That's energizing. You know, and if you follow Owen, it's all about the homesteading and uh, speaking the truth and uh, family and, and multiplication. And that's wonderful. And if you follow Gavin, it's all about being culturally relevant and, uh, you know, the Proud Boys and, you know, being, being, um, not being boring. I, I would say that about Gavin. You know, so all of these guys are great, but they, they are just a part of the body. They are just a part um, of something much bigger that once guys start understanding that, you know, we are not, we're not winning an open war. We're not going toe to toe, uh, with big media. We're not going toe to toe with big academia with, with, uh, the, what do you, what's the word for, for that? The, um, anyway, you know, the big institutions that are, that are waging war, it's, it's, it's a small practical thing of, of everyday bunches of guys, little treehouse clubs of guys who are encouraging each other to just absolute be rocks, be paragons of virtue in clown world, you know, to be absolute men of strength and honor and mastery amidst clown world. Cause you know, what's the biggest problem? 
what is the, the greatest need of friendship is I don't want to be the only guy who thinks the way I think. I don't want to be the only guy who's standing up to clown world. It gets tiring. It gets tiring being the only guy who doesn't believe this crap, you know, who, and it's like, oh wait, there's three other guys. It's like, oh, you know, your heart just, it, it's heartwarming. To know that there's other guys you can chat with. You don't have to put your guard up. You don't have to put political correctness up. You don't have to censor yourself. It's like, and they're like, oh yeah, man, I think that too. And in fact, I'm more extreme than you. And it's like, really? Wow. Did we just become best friends? And it's like, yeah, you just did because you haven't been able to talk about this for 12 years. And so all of a sudden, 12 years of pressure is just like, and it's like, wow, I feel relaxed for the first time in my life. I feel like I'm winning for the first time in my life. And so I think DVG, I think the first step for us is understanding that like more than anything, this is what we need. You know, we need a release. We need a, a refuge from clown world where it's like, oh yeah, there's six other guys who I can, you know, just, just be a normal, sane man of God, you know? So that's really encouraging. But yeah, I think next step is, is just understanding that we are living differently. We are, uh, we want to be peculiar from the culture. And, and so we'll, I think we'll figure this out as we carry on, you know, as we, um, as we figure out what a plan is going forward, you know, having a plan for, for civilization, for the refounding, um, or even if it just ends up being a parallel society, um, you know, a, a neo Amish, uh, Protestantized Mormonism, uh, whatever it is, you know, I think that's the the kind of direction we're trying to figure out, and and it'll it'll come along. It's a great question, DBG. What do you see are the next step for those following for those following me? Uh, what goals do you think are reasonable for this generation? Obviously, David was busy fighting and left the temple building to Solomon. Yeah, I think our biggest, um, my biggest encouragement to you guys is I want I want the re the resetting of identity, you know, a software update, if you will, that, you know, you're not, you're not evil for being a white boy. You're not broken for being a man who sees through clown world's crap. You're not, uh, you're not alone in your despair. Uh, you know, thinking that, that all the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Like what's the, what's the point of living? And, and my, my message is like, we are, we are the pioneers of, of a new, direction you know and and yes like exactly like you say you know we are the david so that our our children can be solomons and build and have civilization you know for us it's going to be 14 years perhaps maybe more in the desert and fighting battles against institutionally more powerful uh enemies and and so i think the the number one thing for us as uh, what do you see are the next steps for those following me it's it's negative institution building you know marriage family economy uh health community, you know, meeting, meeting other men and, and establishing just male friendship. Like, it's like the fact that we even have to talk about this is like, whoa, like this is crazy of like how starved we are for strong men who we don't have to censor ourselves around. And then what do you, what do I think are reasonable goals for this generation? Yeah. I think to raise our children, in a neo-Amish or a, a Protestantized Mormon culture, uh, colonies, if you will, into clown world. 
raising our children to just be based, strong. Uh, you know, I think a lot of our children are going to be more extreme than we are. You know, and like, this is great. Like the already now, like a lot of the Zoomers that I'm in contact with, the young teenagers now, it's like listening to them chat amongst themselves. It's like, this is great. They're more extreme than I am, you know? Um, and obviously with with a lot of different uh, discipleship. So so that that's what lends on us is they've got the desire, the, the energy, the masculine energy is coming back. Patriarchy is coming back. So it's on our generation to disciple and demonstrate disciple and demonstrate and take that desire and that energy that's coming up on, on the young chaps and disciple and demonstrate disciple and demonstrate. <clears throat> Marcel, what effects do cheap labor have on the society in terms of men not conforming to the hierarchy because weak males can essentially buy their alpha ship? Yeah, man, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty deep. So, so cheap labor, you know, one of the cheapest labors is women getting women into the, the workforce, which happened in the first and second world war, because all the men were getting industrial, you know, industrial sized, industrial scale warfare before the first world war, war was conducted by small bands of, you know, a hundred thousand men maybe. And they would have a war where maybe 10% would get killed because the weapons weren't industrialized either. The logistics systems weren't industrialized. World war one comes along and we have trains. We have uh, factory manufactured cannons and rifles and ammunitions. So now with all the logistics, industrialized logistics, you can just pump millions of men into the field. So before it would have been 100,000 fighting 100,000. Now it's just millions fighting millions. You're pump, you're just training them into the, into the battlefield. And then with industrialized weapons and ammunitions, you're now killing them at a rate that is just through the roof, industrialized killing. And so, so the women are forced into the workplace because it's like, oh, you know, We've, 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 how many more men can we put in the field? Well, we've got a million men still working the factories, still working, uh, the logistics jobs, still working the production jobs. Well, let's put them in the field and replace them with women. And so this is where women first come into the workforce and it's great because it allows more men to go get killed. Uh, and then the women get a taste of independence because for the first time they are, uh, earning, uh, money and are, free from the shackles of patriarchy and all this stuff. And it's like, no, you're free from the shackles of patriarchy because your husband and your brothers all died. And so come, you know, come post-World War II where it just gets amplified even more. We now have full woman in the workforce, full decoupling of male headship because most of the men have died. And um, the will, again, industrialized warfare, instead of war being glorious and honorable, uh, you know, sure, there was always terror and shameful things uh, to do with war, you know, because I, I grew up being such a Christian nice guy, you know, so, so I only got saved in my teenage years. So I loved, I read all my war comics, I dreamt of war, got saved and became a Christian nice guy. Like, oh, we can never go to war. War is evil, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, there, there are righteous wars. There are righteous wars. And war used to be fought in such a way that uh, you know, bravery and honor were achievable, uh, even in the midst of death and loss and all of that. So these guys come back from industrialized war and they're just, their soul has been broken. Their soul has been destroyed because it's not honorable fighting. And, uh, and I think as much as well being a brother war, you know, I think the guys who fought the Japs fared a lot better than the guys who fought the Germans because half of, half of the Americans and the English, uh, have German intermarriage or German ancestors or, you know, and so it's a brother war. 
And so then on kicks the propaganda machine to, to whip up why it was righteous and why uh, the Germans were evil and, and all this stuff. But anyway, I digress. So when it comes to work, women in the workforce are, are the cheapest form of labor for the reason being that they will not push back by virtue of their feminine energy. You know, a great example of this was, was where I worked, this one job I worked. Um, the lady whose job I was replacing, um, they offered me her salary and I said, no, I, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to work here for that salary. And I walked out of the meeting. And an hour later, I got a phone call and, and they had bumped up the salary to, to quite a bit more. And so this lady was still training me. And when she found out, like she was super bummed, like, and rightfully so, because she was probably better. Again, I, I, I'm, I'm not the best Delta. I'm not the best technical worker. And it's like, she had a lot of technical competence and it's like, she's better than me. And she got paid worse than me. And it's like, it's, it's simply a, a result of the masculine pushback, the masculine ability to, to make demands and, and reciprocal offers. And so ladies don't push back. You know, and so capitalists love it. They love women coming to the labor force. They're, they don't ask for more money. They're pliable. They'll, they'll be exploited and do crazy. They'll be abused uh, by working conditions and not fight back. Whereas dudes are like, hey, man, screw you. I'm not working here. Or this needs to change. Uh, and, and I'm very forceful about it. And the bosses will be like, yep, okay, we'll change things. Or we'll pay you more or all this stuff. Whereas women don't do that. And so, uh, so women in the workforce have have are the cheapest form of labor, you know. And then you and then you pull in, um, you know, foreign labor where it's it's very similar of of guys who are coming in from from Asia or Africa, um, or uh, Latin America, who again due to cultural boundaries, um, are unwilling to you, you know you you've lived in such a, a lower economy that now you're getting paid peanuts in American eyes, but well, it's it's a much more amazing than when I've come from. So they don't care. They don't push back for anything more. And they're willing again to be abused and exploited. And so they don't push back on work practices. And then you throw divorce into this whole thing, you know, and now all the real estate guys are making bank because there's now two houses for every one household for one family, because now there's divorces. And so now you need two houses instead of one. And so now the real estate guys are loving it. They're loving all the immigrants coming in. Um, so yeah, man, you know, cheap labor, on society starts uh, with women in the workforce. Uh, I think that's a, a bigger issue than actually, uh, and I do think it's a big issue, uh, you know, crazy immigration. Because when what, what you're admitting when you bring in immigrants, you're admitting that you are, you are done with your, your homogenous founding stocks future. You know, of like, oh, our guys aren't good enough. Uh, these guys are going to do the jobs. Our people won't. And it's like, that's a lie. You know, you're just not, you know, either the working conditions are bad or the pay is not good or you've screwed up. You've purposefully screwed up our, our homogenous uh, founding stock generation through, you know, opioids and nihilism and despair and a prison school system uh, and the diet and water and, and whatnot. <clears throat> Yeah, and then and then to to your point there of of weak males can essentially buy their alpha ship. So that's it. You know, when when females enter the hierarchy, uh, the the mode of communication changes. You know, so men men in a hierarchy, you're direct, you ball bust, you mock, you criticize, you challenge, you help, 
uh, and and this is a very dangerous environment to weak men. You know, so if you if you mock a, a, a strong man, it's a sign. He's like, hey, these guys are mocking me about something. They like me, right? So that's I never knew this as a young guy. But like, if I would was getting mocked, I'd be like, oh, it's not, you know, and fight and justify and all this stuff. It's like, no, just laugh at yourself. Be like, oh yeah, good one, man. And it's like, oh yeah, he's one of the guys. He's in, you know. But if you fight back and like, Wee! then it's like this dude's a loser. Kick him up, you know. Um, and so. When we're in a hierarchy with a bunch of dudes, it's it's a great, like the, the ways of honor are very different. But you start putting ladies in there, you can't mock them, you can't criticize them, you can't speak truthfully with them, you can't be crass, you can't be rude. It changes the, the ways of dealing in a hierarchy. Now, how ladies in a hierarchy operate is, so for a man, obviously strength, mastery, and courage is how we gain honor in a hierarchy. But how a lady gains honor in a hierarchy is through helpfulness, beauty, and obedience to the men in the hierarchy. So you peg yourself to a man in the hierarchy, which is where work wives and boss babes come in. So a work wife tries to peg herself uh, to the highest status man in her work environment through beauty, through helpfulness, through and becomes A boss babe tries to emulate a man, a man's strength, mastery, uh, and courage, and becomes an obnoxious woman. But then, when you know, so she's like, "I'm going to fight men at a men's game." It's like the guy's like, "Okay, punch back." And now she runs. She's like, ah, and she cries and she she cries foul. You know, like I'm just a lady. You're picking on a lady. So you can't play. You can't do masculine to a boss babe, right? Because she'll run to a higher status man for protection. Or she will call on lower status men as white knights to come to her rescue. Um, you know, so it, it changes. And, and that's why weak men who understand the female subversive tactics and uh, political uh, scheming, they, they do very well in these new hierarchies. Uh, always remember that Roger Scruton got married at 50 to a 22-year-old. Yeah, that's it. You know, sexual market value. You know, the dude was a very successful man. A very high status, and so this young lady wants to to peg her uh, life to his status, and it's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know. And and even like you look at Melania and Donald, or or any of these kind of things of like a young lady's value is in her beauty, her obedience, and her helpfulness. And so the more of those three things you have, the higher value she is to a higher value man who's going to be like, yep, you you will be my wife, my helpmeet. W Laser, how is it just uh, how is it just or right that Jesus Christ, a totally innocent man, died because of our sins? It's a very deep question. It's a very good question. So when you see Jesus as a victim of our sin, that's where we get this thing twisted up. He he was never a victim of our sin. He was never a oh you know why do I have to die because you guys screwed up? It was is that was not the case. Jesus is the King of Kings the lamb slain at the before the foundation of the earth for you know he saw us his and again we have to understand that us as being valuable sons to to this god who created us in his image right jesus voluntarily comes to bring us back into oneness with god so it wasn't a thing of him being a victim he was never a victim Jesus Christ was never a victim. Victim and Jesus don't go hand in hand. 
Because everyone's like, oh, Jesus was a victim of the Jews. He was a victim of the Romans. He's a victim of our sin. You know, our sin put Jesus on the cross. And it's like, no, Jesus put himself on the cross. Jesus willfully, for the joy set before him, came to shed blood for us as the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth to wash us clean, bring us back into, into oneness with God. And now it's like, you know, that's the other thing. Jesus is not still on the cross. You know, Jesus is still a victim. Of it. It's like, no, no. He died, rose again, ascended back to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, King of Kings. And it's like, he's, he, I think that's the, the gospel that we are really trying to understand here. Jesus was never a victim. He is the King of Kings. We, yes, we were victims to our sin, but as soon as we are, are saved by the blood of the Lamb, we are, we are no more victims anymore, ever again. We are now kings that Jesus is King of. Do Yoman. I find that when men move close to acknowledging the conflict and fracture within society, they suffer a great deal of guilt. They have to accept that they are the wreckers, the breakers of the utopian liberal dream. How do you get them over that? Yeah, man, that, that was me. What are those like, like five stages of recovery or whatever, like denial, then anger, then uh, grief, then bargaining, then acceptance. And, you know, we, we're, we're brought up, we are in the care our whole lives of women, right? We grow up hopefully with our mom. Then we go off to school where it's all female teachers. Uh, then we go, uh, you know, all of our media is very feminine in how the politics and how the media shapes us. And we go to university where it's a, a feminism is the, the, the main syllable of syllabus, if you want to call it that. And, we are, we are in essence, our liberal frame is, is in essence a feminized frame. You know, equality, uh, care, love. Uh, and, and so the masculine frame is pushed away. You know, and so for a lot of us, the awakening comes, I wouldn't say through Christianity, right? Unfortunately, a lot of our Christianity is very feminized. So the awakening for a lot of us comes when we start thinking about sex, start thinking about money, start thinking about power. You know, because those are the inherently masculine things that God has put in us, right? Uh, um, riches, honor, and life. And so those are things we're drawn to. And so we start going on to these little back, back, uh, back room forums and dark web uh, and anonymous trolling of the internet. And like, wow, pickup artists and the manosphere and red pill. And for the first time in our lives, the scales start falling off. And so the first thing is denial, right? So when I first started reading, things about the feminine imperative of female nature. I was like, no, this is not true. You know, uh, Luke Skywalker at the bottom of that, like, no, like ugly snorted, crazy ass denial. And then, you know, it kind of, it kind of percolates a bit. And then I got angry. I got so angry at all these people who had lied to me. I got so angry at all the wasted energy and time. I got so angry at all the, the lies and the clown world and the, you know, I was embarrassed, you know, that I was such a beta, such a blue pill. Is there. You get very, after anger comes grief and you become very depressed, nihilistic. Is there any future? You know, is there any, is there any way forward out of this mess? Because all you are is in the, you're in the pit of grief. You know, and then after that comes bargaining, right? And so you actually start to see 
like, okay, maybe if I start trying to step out on this new knowledge, if I start trying to build with this new knowledge, if I start trying to address some of these things and speak the truth and, and, and it's uncomfortable. And so there's a lot of oh, retreat back to the pit, retreat back to anger, retreat back to denial, you know, but, but it's bargaining, right? You're, you're, you're trying to, you want to get to the other side. You want to break through into the glorious light. Uh, and I think there comes a, you know, you start walking out and you break. So how do you get men over that? You know, how do you get the blue pill beta guy to the point of becoming a based Chad uh, Sun King? And it's time, man. You know, I wouldn't be able to tell you my journey I've had from, you know, from the age of 13 of giving my life to Christ to now the age of 30, where like, you know, if I'd gone back, you know, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to talk with my, my past teenage 20 year old something selves, you know, because you get so prideful in your liberalism and, and all of that. And so uh, it's, it's just loving these guys, praying for them, having patience for them, you know, uh, toning down a little bit and, and putting some sugar with the medicine. Um, and more than anything, it's confidence in your own self, confidence in your own beliefs, confidence in your own. And, and again, not in your own beliefs, confident that Jesus is enough to sustain you through the attacks and the, the harm and the humiliation of not going along with clown world, you know, cause our beliefs will change. You know, I'm still not finished uh, changing old beliefs. I'm still not finished changing old uh, frames uh, that I was brought up in. Uh, but, but the constant in all of this is truth of, all right, Lord, I want to know the truth. I want, I want to live in a way that uh, pleases you in the midst of clown world. So I would say that it's just patience with all these guys. Cause I mean, even look back on your own experience, you know, if some of you guys are privileged enough to have, uh, I, I hate that word. I mean, it's a great word privilege. It's a wonderful word, but just the way it's, it's used now in study for those of you who are blessed to have had a strong masculine father bring you up and, and not have the trappings that a lot of us had to uh, uh, extricate ourselves from, uh, you know, God bless you guys, man. <clears throat> DVG, ironically placing a lot of minorities as the new faces of media is actually a lot cheaper than having white males. Liberals think they are helping the people, but they are just saving money for big business. Yeah, you know, again, why does Amazon like having a multicultural workforce? Because they don't unionize. They don't band together uh, for mutual bargaining. Why? Well, because, you know, there's a hundred, uh, what, is, what is the culture I worked with in my factory? Uh, Nepalis. There's like a hundred Nepalis. There's like a hundred down and out white guys. There's like a hundred black ladies and there's like a hundred Hispanic guys. And so we've all got our own prejudices and our own issues. And it's like, there's no banding together to, to work out better working conditions or anything like that, you know? And so, so that's the, the big thing of, of diversity is it, it increases the power um, of the institution or of the, the, the owner, um, of the, the, the system, you know? So, so definitely what you're saying there, DPG, you know, of, of you're creating a low trust society, you're creating a, a low union, uh, unionized bargaining, you know, cause that, that is the biggest thing is bargaining power, 
right? Bargaining power comes from homogeneous goals, homogeneous trust. You know, you need to trust that guys aren't going to sell out at the first offer. You need to trust that guys aren't going to leave you hanging. You know, that famous founding fathers thing of like, assuredly, brothers, if we don't hang together, we shall all hang alone. And it's like, yeah, they all knew that if they didn't pull this thing out the hat, they were all done for. Do your one. I know they worry about starting conflict. I say they need to think like a boxer. You must give and take hits to win and there will be bruises, but there are still rules to stop you going too far. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the other thing is to not be afraid of taking hits, to not be afraid of, you know, here's the here's the the hard part of being brought up in a charismatic Christian environment. We We put on ourselves this thing of like, if you don't evangelize to the guy on day one, he's going to go die and then it's your fault. He didn't get saved. And it's like, guys, relax. <laughs> like, just be, just, just relax, you know? Love the guy, encourage him. And it's like, yeah, sure. Some guys just want it direct. Like, give it to me direct. Boom, he got saved. I didn't even know his name. I told him the gospel uh, story and he got saved. Like, well, great, good for you. You know, other guys are repulsed by that. Other guys are like, screw you. I'm never listening to a gospel thing ever again. In fact, because of this, I'm never going anywhere near a church ever again. It's like, relax, guys. Relax, relax, relax. You know, God God is a powerful God. He draws men's hearts. He, he uh, you know, that's it. We take it on our responsibility. You know, it's my responsibility to get the whole world saved. And it's like, no, no, no. Just love people, encourage people, disciple, right? Disciple the nations. Disciple is a very interesting word. It means to put up guard rails towards a direction so that when the car hits the guardrails, it, oh, not this way, this way. Nope, not this way, this way. Disciple means pruning shears, you know, so, the, so we want the tree to grow straight. We're going to prune these little side things, right? So discipleship is a, is a fascinating thing. And we get so petrified that it's like we, we forget discipleship and we're just like, and just, you know, just destroy everything because we're afraid, you know? And so it comes there like what you say of like, conflict is not a bad thing. Uh, pimples need to pop, you know? And it's like, once a pimple pops, you can clean it out. And if you don't clean it out this time, it'll just get a bit bigger and you can pop it again next time. Like we need to, we need to not be so afraid of conflict. We need to not be so afraid of being friends with people who are different than us, of, of, of being in partnership with people who are uh, perhaps uh, a bit less than us or a bit more than us or dirtier than us or holier than us. You know, of like there, there really is a, a, a fascinating thing going on where I think, I think the age of, of purity spirals on the right uh, is, I don't think it'll ever go away, actually. It's, there's always going to be purity spirals. But I think majority of us are learning, like, we don't care about purity, ideological purity. We care about effectiveness right now. We want life. We want truth. We want honor and glory, you know? And so these things are achievable, but it takes rough men. It takes militaristic men. It takes violent men. And so... You know, I think that's the the big the big shift that's going on in especially in in the Anglo Protestant world is Mr. Nice Christian guy uh, is being put aside. That's it. The age of Mr. Nice Christian guy is is fading very quickly.
uh, hard, hard times, strong men. So yeah, chaps, I think it's been a nice hour. I uh, appreciate you all jumping on and uh, it's been fun. We'll uh, see you all tomorrow. Um, picking up a freezer. So we've got our half beef ordered. I need to go and pick up. We've bought the freezer and I need to go and figure out getting it home. So that's exciting. But uh, yeah, enjoyed enjoyed chatting with you chaps. It's always a pleasure. And uh, have a wonderful evening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And go and be a king.